Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're here with us. If you're new, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here today. And as Chris said, we're doing something a little different today as we wrap up our parenting series that we've been in over the past number of weeks together. And over the past few weeks, we have been gathering questions that you have asked about parenting. And each week in our parenting series, we've tried to address those questions. And so what we thought we would do as we end this series is just invite some parents up here from different seasons of their parenting journey and have them answer some of the questions that you've asked. So you turned in a bunch of great questions. And today what we're going to do is just kind of interview style. I'm going to guide us through this journey. And I'm just going to ask question after question after question, try to keep us on track, hopefully get you home before dinner tonight because... Yeah, you had a lot of questions. So um, let me just start by introducing our couples on the stage, and then we'll just dive in and start answering some of the questions that you were asking. So to my right is Tim and Sarah Jones. So Tim is our executive pastor, and Sarah leads our international missions. And so would you guys tell us how long you've been married, how many kids you have, and how old your kids are? Yeah, so uh, July 1st, we will have been married for 16 years, coming up here very shortly. So, yep, thanks. So, and uh, maybe you saw Sarah before service or just now coming onto stage, but we are expecting our fourth one. It could be today during the service. Um, No, but uh, hopefully not. Uh, But uh, nine days from now, July 7th, uh, Daniel uh, Joshua is coming and he will be our fourth one. So we have our daughter who is Audrey, she's six, uh, Trevor who is four, and then Caleb who is two. So we are in those years of toddlerville. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Glad to have you on stage. So Tim and Sarah are kind of new in their parenting adventure. And then we've got Tammy and I. So for those of you who do not think I have a wife because you never see her out here, this is her. Here she is. This is Tammy. So yes. You can tell the better half in in our uh, couple here. So Tammy leads our children's ministry. So that's why she is in the, the, what we call the back part of our campus most Sundays. And uh, we're so grateful to have her out here today. So Tammy, would you tell everybody how long we've been married? Because sometimes I forget. And um, how many kids we have and how old they are? Sure. Uh, We've been married 22 and a half years. (laughs) Got a half out of that. That's good. Um, And we have four children. Our oldest is almost 21. And uh, then we have an 18-year-old and a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old. There you go. Great. Glad you're out here. It's kind of weird. I've got to get used to it. It's different. I know. Energy. They're not scary. They won't bite. (laughs) They're very nice people. That's good. I'm glad to be here. So then we have Rich and Nancy Carr. And Rich is one of our elders who provides spiritual leadership to our church. And Nancy is one of our key volunteers in our uh, nursery area. And they both help with teardown after service to help get get this room prepared for school the next day. So they serve almost every Sunday on that team. So, So grateful to have you guys. So would you tell us... How long you've been married, how many kids you have, how many grandkids you have, how many great-grandkids you have, their favorite colors, and then tell us their birthdays. That'd right. be great. Well, um, we've been married 54 and a half years. 54 and a half. <laughs> and we, um, we have four children, and uh, the oldest is 52, and the youngest would be 47. <laughs> Um, and we have uh, 14 grandchildren, and we're expecting our ninth great-grandchild. So, that awesome. It's busy. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a busy family, yeah. so um, so so grateful to our team for, for being here this morning. Usually, they are plugged in on many places across our campus, and uh, so we're grateful that they were able to to be out here. So I'm going to dive in with question number one. So this is uh, these are the questions that you have asked. So question number one for Tim and Sarah: With the conditions of this current world, how can I discipline my kids in public? So we thought we would stop, start with a softball question uh, for Tim and Sarah. Nice and no, easy I thought one. discipline and in public. We're, yeah. we're just diving in. Um, it is a great question. It's tough. Discipline is tough no matter when or where, but then add that 
feeling of, all right, everybody is watching me and I'm having the screaming kid in the grocery store or the restaurant or whatever, what do we do? Um, and I think there's a lot we can do on the proactive or the preventative side first, and then we'll talk a little bit about the discipline side as well. Um, first of all, I think we can't expect our kids to obey in public if they don't obey in private. Um, so, you know, if, if public is a problem, of course we need to work on that, but, you know, I think we need to first start with them obeying, obeying the first time at home. And one thing we've really worked on with our kids from the time they were young is that they understand that when we say yes, it's yes, and it, when it's no, it's no. And that goes a long way, you know, in public. There's times, of course, they're still going to whine and throw a little tantrum or whatever. But if they know that when mom says no and dad says no, it's no, they're much less likely to keep throwing the tantrum or whatever, um, when they know that's just the way it goes. So that's one thing we've tried to work on. And another thing is I take them all grocery shopping every week, the six, four, and two-year-olds, and so, um, and the two-year-olds. So, you know, for me, part of it is survival. It's like, what can I do? You know, this is something we do every week. So we've got to have some good systems that work. And one of those for me is containment. Like the two-year-old, is contained in the cart, buckled in every week. You know, and some of those things, it's just preventative, but we've tried to, you know, we don't start taking them out of the cart, out of the high chair, whatever, until we know they can obey and not be pulling stuff off the shelves and, you know, all of that. So part of it too is continuing or beginning how you want to continue. And then too, we go into public situations, we try to talk about ahead of time what to expect if we're having dinner with out-of-town relatives. Okay, guys, this is a waiting restaurant. It's a, you have to sit and wait. So I'll bring some snacks for them or something for them to do. So we can try to do those things to minimize but the discipline potential. But of course, at any given moment, there is great potential and they will misbehave. So when those times come, I think we have to be extra creative in public with discipline and find out what is that thing that you can leverage. Um, for me, with our older couple kids right now, they when I unload the groceries at the grocery store into the van, they like to play in the van. So I say, if, you know, if they're bugging each other, you know, it's like, all right, if you keep doing that, you're not playing in the van. You know, so what is that creative thing that you can leverage or the two-year-old likes to hold things in the cart and if he throws that box of cereal on the, on the ground, it's done. And he may fuss for a minute, but it's done and he'll quickly learn, don't throw it on the ground. So some of those things, um, there's always going to be discipline. And sometimes it might be, you know, in the car, you've got to do something or at home or whatever, um, give them a little swat on the bottom. When they're old enough to understand, the hard thing is when there's that delay in time, that can be, that can be the most challenging thing, discipline in public, but preventative and then really creative on the other side too, I think. Awesome. Great feedback. So anybody else got any other thoughts on that one? Yeah, just a quick uh, thought. When my kids were, especially when they were younger, for us, well, for me, I found a lot of times parent, parenting is just inconvenient. And so, <laughs> um, so uh, with my oldest daughter, a lot of times she was so, she was such a good kid, you know, at home. And then we'd get out in public and she'd decide I can pull it because we're in public. And so um, I can remember so many times I thought, Oh my gosh! I've got to get this done. I've got to. I've got to. I've got an agenda here. I've got a list of things that I've got to do. And um, but she she didn't want any of that. So I had to choose in those moments that okay, you're going to do this. We're doing this. So I would say we're going outside. If I had to take her back outside and have her calm down and then try it again and again, I, it wasn't always convenient. It was a lot of, many times very inconvenient. But um, it, it kind of bottom line was I had to come back to what am I trying to teach her that she can just get away with this. She can't um, because I'm going to pay for it later, you know, if she doesn't learn this. And so, yeah, so sometimes it was just being uh, willing and being knowing that I, I have to be inconvenienced. Um, but in the long run, this is going to help her. It's going to help all of us. Um, so if that meant us leaving the store, trying it again. And then sometimes I would go to the store and then we'd never even come home with groceries because it was just like, okay, that didn't work today or this, at this moment, we're going to have to do it again. And we don't have anything to eat for dinner. So, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Um, so just knowing and being prepared that parenting is inconvenient. And there are, there are moments that you have to do things that, yeah, you don't want to do. It's not on your agenda and list to do, but you have to do it. 
So it's kind of like what we were talking about last week with uh, discipline. And sometimes we view discipline as a detour in life. Like, oh, it's a horrible detour, super inconvenient. I got so much to do. I have no time to, to interact with you, my kid, in the way that you're behaving right now. But like we talked about last week, discipline is not a detour. That has become the primary path for that child in that moment to grow to be like Jesus. So that's where I think it's super important to go, okay, now like we may have to leave. We may have to go home. I have to change my plans. Why? Because your spiritual development as a kid has now become our top priority right now. So I may have to put some things on hold, do those things later. Um, we'll have toast for dinner. Um, I, I don't know. We have to make some adjustments. So some, some great feedback on that. Okay, so question number two for Tammy and I. How can we maintain a healthy life balance with our kids' many activities? So we have four kids, and they're very active. And often we feel like we're, we're all going in separate directions at the same time. So how do we manage that? You know, I think for us, um, we've definitely simplify is the word that we kind of hold to because in, no matter what we're doing and activities especially. And I think in our culture, you're always, as a parent, you either feel guilty because my kid isn't doing this, 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 and this, and everybody else is doing this, 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 and this. And what we don't see is the behind the scenes and how chaotic that is for their world. And so, you know, I think just keeping in mind that simplify, simplify, and some of the things that we've done in the past is um, we've limited their activities. They may only do one activity and they get to choose. And it's, a, it's an opportunity for them to learn as well that you know in life they don't get to do everything they wanna do and they may not have the money to do everything that they wanna do and that's all okay. And it's okay as a parent to, to step back and go, okay, you know what? It's okay that my kid is not in five activities even though so-and-so and so-and-so are. And, um, and because one of the things that I think we've had to learn too is the more that we do, the more things that we're involved in, we're not only pulled and stretched, you know, by time, but also our family is, and in the long run, you know, it it doesn't benefit our family. We, we, um, it's strained and it becomes stressful and it's stressful on the kids and everything else. And so, um, so I think simplifying it and limiting it, it, and you know, we've even before, um, our kids have chosen to do maybe one thing in the fall and maybe the other two didn't do anything and that was okay. And we went as a family to support them in what they were doing. And that also taught community and support and what it meant to, you know, cheer on someone else. And so there's a lot of lessons that you end up teaching that you don't even realize you're teaching in those seasons. Um, that is all part of parenting as well. So, yeah. So uh, part of that is we want our kids to be involved in the stuff that, that will help them grow and develop. And, and we love that. We love that for each of our kids. And so they've all tried different things, different sports, different activities. It's been a lot of fun to be involved in some of those things. But at some point, um, we don't have the margin that we need to stay connected well as a family and to grow our faith as a family. Um, and so some of the stuff that I've watched uh, in some, some folks' lives is being so active. And let, for example, and if your kid's involved in this, please don't feel like I'm pointing you out. I'm not trying to. But like uh, travel teams, so sport travel teams where like you're gone, you know, every weekend for, you know, almost uh, the whole month. Uh, that can start wearing on your family and the cohesiveness that you have, the opportunity that you have to be together at church or have dinner together. And you may feel like, well, we're together a lot. But I guarantee you, you're not able to really focus that time together in the, in the way that you would want to do that. So we've had several of our kids involved in travel sports. And um, so there were some seasons where like, wow, that was very difficult. And there were some times where we would tell the coach, listen, if the game ends up on a Sunday, I'm sorry, but my daughter or my child's not going to be playing. They just won't be there. And you'll just have to play without them. Not a super fun thing for the team, not a super fun thing for the coach. But you know what? That's the most beneficial thing for our family. So um, we want our family to be connected, especially when it comes to the spiritual development of our kids. I want them in church. And, uh, you know, we were doing that before I was a pastor. Um, so not just that I do this on Sundays, but we practiced that before we got into ministry. So I think it's a super important thing. Yeah. And can I add something just really Absolutely. quick to that? Um, and that doesn't stop when they're young. You know, I think it's even important as they're getting older. Um, not only do we want them in church when they're young and learning things when they're young, but as they grow older as well. And, you know, activities change as they get older. There's more for them to be involved in, especially once they're in high school and all that um, with academics and everything. But, you know, I think you almost have to become even more creative during that time. And one of the points that you just made about even dinner, 
um, during those moments when they're in high school. Some of you may have high school students or high school kids. Um, is really being intentional about having dinner time at least once a week where you are, there is nothing going on. There are no phones at the f- table. There is no TV on. We are together. We are looking face-to-face and, and talking and, and just having that, that time together. So just trying to be creative as they get older. Sometimes, you know, juggling things becomes even more difficult, but be intentional. Great input. All right, so let's see. Tim and Sarah, next question. What is the best way to teach a small child about God? Yeah, I think uh, for that, it, obviously it begins with us. You know, as we are interacting and loving God first, um, that should spread to them. And we should be sharing our faith in terms of helping them to see what that is. And some of the real practical things that you can do and that we've found um, that have just been amazing to watch as we, you know, really pass on our faith to them and they develop their own. Um, it's just simply, you know, as every single time one of our kids was an infant, we start to just each night, one of us is putting them to bed and we're singing to them. We're saying, Jesus loves me. We're praying with them as they begin to talk. You know, I, I prompt them and say, amen. And they say, amen. So, you know, as they become, start to talk in words, um, Caleb, he, our two-year-old, you know, we have him pray for mealtime, and he says, God, yum, yum, amen, you know, and he does that, and it's great, and that means food for some of you who don't know what yum, yum means, but, you know, that is amazing. He does it with confidence. He looks forward to doing that. The kids see that, his brother and his sister, and it's just a neat time to be able to do that because our kids are watching. They're watching us all the time uh, in what we're doing and we're modeling that for them. And there's moments where I'm spending time with God in the morning and one of my kids will come in and I don't say, oh, go, go back out. I just, it becomes family devotion moment. And so I have them pray with me. They hear me pray out loud or I start to read the Bible out loud and, and, and that's just, we're doing life together. So... Yeah, I think that's great. I think it's a blend of that. They need to see us in our faith and then finding those intentional times as well. When is it that works in your schedule to each day talk about God, read a Bible story together? And for us, it's bedtime has been a great time to do that. Um, and I want to share with you guys just a few of our favorite resources. This one, you can, we start when they're about two. It's called First Virtues for Toddlers, and it goes through 12 different really basic virtues like sharing and kindness and obedience and things that you're wanting them to learn and you're teaching them. But it's great because it's positive and proactive. Um, and then we as they get a little bit older, we try to read a, um, a Bible story each night. And this is one that starts um, in the Old Testament. And the first part of the Bible works through the story of Jesus and the New Testament. And it's nice too, as parents, that it's just one page per night. And then it gives you some questions to talk about. It's called the New Bible and Pictures for Little Eyes. And then as the kids have gotten a little bit older with Audrey and Trevor, we've um, done, just started doing this and have loved it. It's called Leading Little Ones to God. And it talks about different aspects of what it means to follow Christ and who is God and what does it look like to have a relationship with him. And all of these, they give everything to you. They give questions and verses and all of that. So even if we don't feel confident in our knowledge, we can still walk through that. So what is that time for you that would work? So every day, it might even just be five or 10 minutes, but that investment of intentionality will pay off over time. And then two, we really try to utilize what's already happening here at Epic. I love the take-home sheets so I know what they've learned and so on the way home we talk about what did you guys learn today and um, go over their verses. I think Bible verses for them to learn them, get them in their little hearts and minds so young is so important. And that's one thing we reward for, whether it's a sticker or after they say so many verses, they get a little prize from the dollar store. But those things to help them get God's word in their heart. And the cool thing is when they're so little at our stage of life, they love everything, you know, they, they love it all. So it's not forcing them. It's just, this is what we're going to do. This is fun. They enjoy it and they love learning about God, which is awesome. So that's fun. And, and what's neat, if, um, you know, as we have these moments that we're being intentional with, like our six and four-year-old, you know, one of the questions I'll ask them at night is, how's your heart? Are you happy? Are you sad about anything? And it was really neat this past year, Audrey, our six-year-old, she shared something with me. I wasn't expecting it. She was a little down. And, um, 
it wasn't major or anything like that, but for her it was. And it was just neat that she, we were able to talk about that before she went to bed. I was able to pray with her about it. And it's just neat because I hope that that sets us up when she becomes a teenager, when she becomes an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old, that we can have those kind of conversations because we've started them so young and she's willing to share her heart and how she's doing. And I can say, Audrey, how's your heart? How's your heart? How are you doing? And um, it's just something that I look forward to continuing to do. That's awesome. Those resources that Sarah's highlighted, they're on our Spiritual Growth Challenge. Um, so if you want to pick up a copy of that before you leave, it's at our Connection Center, just a one-page document that takes what we talk about on Sunday just a little bit further. And we've got several other resources on there as well. So Rich and Nancy, shouldn't we let our kids decide the faith that they want instead of forcing our faith on them? No. <laughs> I mean, when our children uh, were uh, young, um, well, let me read Proverbs 22.6. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. So I wanted to train our kids uh, in the right way. And uh, so to start... Um, that was the best thing for us, uh, reading the word with them, praying with them. And it's all to instill values in their life that sh- they will use all their life. And um, plus, it's a promise from God. And do you have anything else, Richard? <laughs> well, it becomes a, uh, especially in this day and age, um, but the, the key to the thing is, to, you know, the Bible talks about training up a child in the way he shall go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. So uh, what does that mean, you know? I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, I've been, man, I've been training my child just to do this and that. And he, there he is out there in the world now, you know? What happened? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this. The word train is an action word. And uh, when you train somebody to do something, like I was a, a carpenter for quite a few years, um, to, for me to train a guy, he had to come to work. He had to get some tools. He had to be to work every day. And uh, he began to grasp the same thing I, I had known. I could, after a few months, he, was, he could build a set of stairs or something. And that, that's the same way it is with a Christian life. You just don't say that and say, well, I'm going I'm to train you, and, uh, you know. But you, you begin to practice what these guys are talking about. You begin to put it in practice. And me, being the father of the home, I'm the one that's responsible, basically, what my, my kids learn, uh, what goes into the computer. Um, you know, a lot of times the Holy Spirit tries to get the kid to remember the verse in the computer, and he taps on his brain and the thing's spiraling, looking for that verse, and the verse was never read to them, so they don't know. And uh, that's all part of Christian living. And I think as we, as we, <clears throat> as we um, go through life, and as we train up a child from baby on to say, like Tim says, may say and. Um, the prayer, and he says the amen. A fellow back there in the other service was talking about his baby daughter. She just can't wait to say amen, amen at the end of the prayer. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of train. And it continues on all through life. Now, when you get up about 15 or 14 or 13 or 12, whatever they are, 
when they come to you and say, oh, Dad, I'm not going to follow your religion anymore. Oh, oh, you're not, huh? Oh, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to try one of these Eastern religions for a while. Well, that's good. You know, the only thing is, you know, if you stay in my house, we go to church on the Sunday morning, and it's, you know, every Sunday. So I don't know when you're going to practice your religion, but, but, <laughs> but um, we'd like to have you continue to go with us, you know. And of course, at that age, if you get saved late in the game, so to speak, and your kids are, uh, uh, they're not believers, and they're, they're, you know, they're skeptical. They, they uh, kind of believe what you believe, but they're skeptical of it. How do, you, how do they get rid of that skepticism? It's through watching you. It might take 5, 10, 15 years, but they're watching you. Do you really mean what you say? Or are you just playing church? You know, we got churches full of people who go there every Sunday, sit in their pew. It's churches over, they go home. You know, they're never involved in anything. They don't do anything. They don't, they're not part of the enthusiasm and the excitement of the church. Well, you ain't going to make it, man. Your kids ain't going to make it. And so I really believe if, if, if we train those, those kids, like, like God said when, he's, when he put that down there, train's a good word, boy. You better believe they'll, They'll love to serve the Lord. They'll love to serve the Lord. And that's, that's why your kids are. They, some of them are a little... You, well, I won't go there. <laughs> but, uh, so that training really does start with us. Yes. And we model absolutely. that for them and show them um, what God wants us to do by how we live. And that's right. We teach them that. Yep. Teach them that. That's good. So Tim and Sarah, we're going to shift to you. How do I keep my marriage problems from affecting my kids? Yeah, um, well, again, going back to what everybody's been saying, it falls on our shoulders. It starts with us. And so we've got to have just a relentless pursuit in terms of our relationship with God, but with each other. Um, and that doesn't change. Even with a six-year-old, four-year-old, two-year-old, and soon-to-be baby, again, you know, time is tough. And so one of the things that you know, we've really worked hard at is when we have a conflict, we work hard to resolve that conflict. And we don't put it off. We go, hey, here's the conflict. You know, here's what happened. You know, I did something. Okay, I'm going to own that. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. She's going to forgive me back and forth. We're not keeping account. We're not trying to win, you know. And when we do that on a regular basis, then we have healthy deposits um, in our marriage and in our relationship. But also, we don't forget that before kids, we were the primary relationship here. And that shouldn't change as we... Uh, have kids. And so we continue to date each other. We continue to have a date night. We try to do that at least once a month. Um, and then we also try to have time for us. So our kids, they go to bed, you know, Caleb goes to bed at 730, the, the other two at eight, and then it's us, you know, so we can talk and we can carve out that time. And sometimes when our kids during the day, like Sarah and I, we need to talk, we say, hey, it's mommy, daddy time. And so you guys go off to another room and play. Uh, On my day off, often after breakfast, we say, hey, it's mommy and daddy time. We're going to talk because we need to catch up on some things, and they go off and play. And so this relationship um, has got to be a priority because one day, you know, our kids are going to be gone, and that's the second highest divorce rate at that point is when you become an empty nester uh, because you focus so much. The pull is to focus on your kids um, and if you aren't doing that right now, then it will drift. We will drift. Uh, that's just what happens in marriage. So again, the responsibility is on us to make sure we're modeling well for our kids how to resolve conflict and, and uh, love God and love each other uh, the way that he wants. Tammy, how do you tell children that they can't have all the things their friends have? Everyone has iPads and iPhones. How do you say No. That's how you say it. No. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, there, is, there are so many things out there that um, 
crazy stuff. And you feel like as a parent, I, th- I know I do, I battle that thought of, you always want your kids to have, you know, stuff and all that. But I think when, you, when it comes down to it, um, it really is an opportunity to, again, um, provide opportunities for them to learn. No, again, they're not going to have everything they want to have for the rest of their life when they want it and, you know, can't afford it and all that kind of stuff. And so, again, it even goes back to in this moment of teaching them, um, you know, priorities and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. And for us, you know, the preventative side of that is we have kind of went ahead of time and set them up for um, you're not old enough for that right now or that's not appropriate for you right now. And, we, you know, when there's an opportunity to tell them why, we tell them why. And if there's, there's some moments that, you know what, you just need to trust me on this. And I'm not, you know, I think it's also that reminder as a parent it's not your job to be their friend all the time and to, you know, make sure that we're buddy-buddy and that they like you because there's moments that they're not going to like you and they're not going to like the decision that you made. But my responsibility is to God. It's not to you, my son or daughter. It's to God. And so one day when I stand before God and I have to give an account for how I parented you, I want to be able to say I stayed the course and, you know, and it goes back to what God said that my responsibility is for you in this. And, you know, the practical side of that is with iPads and iPhones, there are so many things out there that, you know, you can't keep up with everything with technology, and I get that. Um, But what do I want for my child to be like? What kind of person do I want them to be like in the future? I'm not raising a child so much as I'm raising an adult. And so when I keep that perspective, um, it helps me to make those decisions of saying no and... um, and just knowing, you know, knowing ahead of time, it doesn't get easier, but, um, you know, as they get older, so if you can learn those things and teach them while they're younger, then it's easier later on because they've already understood. Sometimes they won't even come and ask me because they know, I know she's going to say no, but they've all, but the thing is they've already understand why they've already, you know, we've already explained why for a lot of things. So even though our son goes after us all the time, he's 11, I want an iPhone. I want an iPhone. Everybody has an iPhone. I'm sorry, you're not going to have an iPhone. Um, not yet. You're not old enough for that, or this is why um, you, you, know, you don't need to be exposed to the Internet because you're too young. There's so many influences out there. And, and as a parent, we've just chosen to control a lot of those things um, for safety reasons as well as other reasons. So. Yeah, so a difficult thing, you know, as, as kids are going to say that, what you just said, hey, everybody else has one, or, or why can't I? Um, and, you know, it's a difficult thing to be the parent that says, uh, man, you know, I'm sorry, but we just don't feel like that's appropriate for you at this season of your life. And so we're making a tough call, even if they don't like the why or don't understand the why, because there's moments like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. That's just not fair. Again, it goes back to who are we trying to please? I'm trying to please God um, and train up my children. And so it's complex. I tell you, it's a complex world out there. And so as we navigate, especially uh, technological devices, um, we've got to be engaged in our kids' lives to the best of our ability to understand that technology and uh, to trust God on that journey. God, is this an okay thing for my kid? And to be involved in that, to understand like, hey, maybe there's stuff like we need to set limits or boundaries or parent blocks or whatever for our kids and some things they can't have, some things they can't have, and some of it's about age development and appropriateness, but it, it's tough. It's a, a, a tricky, complex world out there, and we've got to rely heavily on God to guide us on that journey. Um, so next question for Rich and Nancy um, is this. Give us some tips on leading a child as a grandparent when his parents are not leading. So how do you lead from that grandparent position uh, when uh, your kids are not necessarily leading your grandkids? Um, Well, I think as a grandparent, um, you need to get close to that child and love them, take them to church, um, do things with them, and um, hopefully they live close enough that you can become involved in their life because um, they need that. So heavy involvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that a a lot of times grandparents, when they reach that age of grandparent, they hey, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, you know. But then you're kind of looking around, a little freedom, and then, what's that? Two little grandkids over there. I wonder how they're doing. 
Let's go. Maybe we ought to go over and visit the grandmother. It's been about three months since we were over there. You know? Yeah, you better. That ain't going to get it. It ain't going to get it. Do you realize those are the only people that you can take to heaven with you? Yeah. If you explain the story, the gospel, good news to them. And this is not just go over there and give it to them, but to live it. That you love them. You only got a short period of time, man. The older you get, you realize how short that is. That vapor. Your life is but a vapor. Here for a little while, it's gone. And so the amount of time you have to spend with your grandkids and teach them what love means by showing them that you love them. No matter what, no matter what they get into, you love them. And that's hard sometimes. Sometimes it gets some things bent in a relationship growing up. Sometimes you get hired and you won't speak to somebody for years. Don't let that, don't let Satan have that victory. Don't you know that he wants to divide, divide. He wants you and your kids, he, he wants you and your kids at a very early age to divide. And the only thing that God has got for us is love. We can love those kids. Satan can't love. So there's quite a contrast there. And you can love them. You can love them. And so it's, uh, it's sometimes hard to do, but if you're serious about the Lord, and you ought to be, and you might be the only gospel that your grandkids ever run into. I mean, think of the amount of times that somebody has come up to you and asked you if you're going to heaven or something after you die. Has anybody ever done that? Very, very, very few. So something to think about. That's part of training. That training just goes on forever until you're taken up. But that training is a continuation. As they see their lives as grandparents growing they, they see that and they say, man, he's, they're so different than these other grandparents. They never have their grandkids over. So uh, hang on to those grandparents, man. <laughs> so you've got a great opportunity as grandparents to stay involved and continue to influence the next generations for Christ. So thanks for that, that feedback. So Tim and Sarah, does the Bible say anything about single parenting or blended families? Um, yeah, you know, there's not a direct passages addressing like single families, blended families, but there are many people who are in the Bible um, who've come up against those things. So you've got like Isaac, Solomon, Hosea, um, Joseph, Jesus's father, you know, stepfather to the Savior. Um, so you've got all these dynamics in Scripture of people who've wrestled with those complexities and everything. And uh, I actually grew up in a home. My uh, parents, um, when we, when I was in second grade, my one of my cousins, she lost her mother, which was my mom's sister, and she came to live with us. So all of a sudden, we have this new dynamic in our home. Um, older sister, seventh grade teenager, and all of us, my brother, myself, and my younger sister, we're all younger than her, and it brings in a different dynamic into our family. Um, and I tell you, the, one of the best things that my parents did in that situation, and that I'd give to you if you're in that situation of being either a single mom or in a blended family, is to continue to focus on loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you let other people do the battles for you. So we had court battles. Who do we lean into? The lawyers. You know, the state of Iowa would not allow this young girl who'd been shipped from foster home to foster home after we tried to get her the first time to continue to come into our home and say, hey, we'll take her now. This is what happened. And so there were many court battles over that. And what did my parents do? They didn't worry about it. They prayed about it and they let the lawyers do the work for them. And so there's so many things in your past that can rear up in those situations or in your current situation that can continue to rear up. And your job is to love God and love who's immediately in front of you. 
and allow, don't allow those things to come into what God is forming in that moment. And so you get the help. You seek wise counsel. You get other people to help you out because it is complex. It's a complex thing. But I can tell you, my parents did it so well with maneuvering through those complexities because they kept their focus on loving God. And uh, it's interesting because I don't think of Debbie, my older sister, as like my cousin. She's my sister. And um, and that's just what happened. And so um, that's what I can, you know, offer up to you. That's great feedback. Tammy, how can I trust that God's got my kids as they slowly leave the nest? You know, it comes back to, wow, so many of the things that we, all of you guys have been talking about. And um, I, you know, one thing that you said, it may have been uh, earlier, was um, love God, uh, God loves your kids more than you could ever love them. And I know there's moments in my life that, you know, were scary with the kids or, um, you know, just so many situations where I didn't know what was going to happen next. And I would always come back to that thought that, God, you love them more than I could ever love them. And you have their best interest in mind. And your word says that you have plans that are good plans for them. And I can trust you. Like, you're either the God that you say you are or you're not. And so as I look to their future, you know, as, a, as parents, we can do what we can do. And then bottom line, when it comes to the end, and we have our second one just graduated this last week, and it's just that realization of God's got them. And, you know, all that we can do from this point on is pray, pray. And we, we've prayed, prayed, prayed through all the years. But as they leave, of just knowing that God has them. He's got a plan for them, and it's a good plan. And, and to just continue to pray for them and encourage them when we can encourage them. But bottom line is to know that it's in God's hands, and those are trustworthy hands. Whether, you know, you find yourself in a situation sometimes where you're wondering what he's up to and what he's doing, and it doesn't make sense to you, you can trust him. And he will always do what he says he's going to do, and he will always be who he says he is. And so he's a trustworthy God. And so I think as your kids are going into that next stage of life and you're getting, they're leaving the nest, so to speak, um, it's really putting your faith and trust in God and knowing that even when our kids have left and went to upstate New York, it's like, oh my gosh, they're so far away. I can't control him. I can't control them. I can't, I can't control life. God's in control. And so I'm going to place my trust in him continually, even more so then. Yeah. So again, it goes back to our responsibility to train our kids as best we can based upon biblical principles. And then we really do have to transition and trust that, that God will take care of them um, as they go on, even if they're in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so last question to Rich and Nancy. So what responsibility do adult children have with taking care of their aging parents Please show me a Bible verse, if any, that talks about a child's responsibility to their parents. Okay. Um, I have a a couple of them. Uh, One is Colossians 3.20. You children must always obey your parents, for this is what pleases the Lord. And I had, excuse me, Ephesians 6, 1, 2, and 3. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first of the Ten Commandments that ends with a promise. And this is the promise. If you love or if you honor your father and mother, you will live a long life full of blessing. And I also have a couple in Timothy. First Timothy five eight. But those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what we believe. Such people are worse than unbelievers. And first Timothy five four. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of of them. This is something that pleases um, God very much. 
So pretty clear from Scripture the responsibility that we have uh, as children to take care of our aging parents. And for those of you who may not know Nancy's story, Nancy grew up in a very abusive environment uh, with her mom. So her mom was physically and verbally abusive to her. And Nancy could have grown up hating her mom, but she didn't. Uh, in her journey with Christ, uh, she really did a lot of, of work of forgiving her mom and got to the point at the end of her mom's life where Nancy took care of her mom um, until she passed. And uh, Nancy, you walked through that very gracefully and uh, modeled very well what it looks like for us to take care of our well, parents. That was only because of God's grace that um, because uh, of all the really... I didn't even know how to be a mother. Um, I mean, how to raise my kids because of the environment I grew up in. But uh, my mother broke her hip, and none of the other kids wanted anything to do with her, which I understood. They had all had years of everything, trials and tribulations. So anyway, we brought her to Florida, and she was in rehab and then in a nursing home at the end. And uh, I could, uh, to say that I could walk into a room and my mother's face lit up. She was so glad to see me. I know it sounds weird to you, but I never had that where she was glad to see me. Usually uh, she was telling me off or hit me or... We just didn't have any type of relationship. But uh, only through, really, the Lord. He had uh, changed her in the last. And uh, we had a relationship that we never had before. And I can only thank to him, him for that. Yeah, it really is profound to, to understand that. Again, in Nancy's situation, she could have said, you know what, Mom, the way you treated me, forget it. You're on your own. Die on your own. Uh, but Nancy didn't do that. Um, she walked that out very beautifully with her mom. And uh, forgiveness issues and allowing Christ to, to pour grace in that situation. So uh, Scripture does teach that we have a responsibility to take care of our parents as they are aging. And so Nancy's modeled that well for us. So. Yep. He allowed me to finish well with her. Finishing well, great yeah, statement. And I thank him for that. Great statement. So the thing about parenting is it is difficult. Uh, no, no matter what season that you're in, early stage, middle stage, later stage, it is difficult. Parenting is not for cowards. Uh, so if you have kids, you understand that. Um, and we want to encourage you, just give you kind of a final word of encouragement as you do that. And, and the way we're going to do that is I have a video that I'd like you guys to watch. And if you've got a tissue next to you, you should probably grab it um, or somebody's sleeve next to you. Um, so watch this and we'll have some final comments. So wouldn't it be great to get a letter like that from one of your kids? That'd be fantastic. I was trying to figure out how we could pull that off for those of you who are parents, but I couldn't quite figure that out. So what I thought we could do is what if we encouraged a parent in our lives? What if you encouraged maybe your parents? Or what if there's a parent around you that, that you know needs some encouragement? And how could you today or maybe this week provide them some encouragement and let them know that they're probably doing better than they think? So how could you encourage them? I hope that you'll spend some time thinking about that and doing that even today and maybe this week. Find a way to encourage a parent because we all need encouragement as parents. Now, um, next week, let me tell you what we're going to do and then we're going to have Rich pray for us and, and we'll be done for today. Next week, we're going to start a series called Hopeless. And in this series, we're going to answer this one question. What do you do when you find yourself in a hopeless situation? So I really hope that you'll come back and you'll invite your family, invite your friends to, to be a part of this, invite people that you work with or people you go to school with. Because um, our programming team has been working since January on this series. And what we're going to be doing with it is we're going to be highlighting five stories of people within our own church family who have walked through hopeless situations. And so you'll get to hear their stories and you'll get to hear how God guided them through that hopeless situation. And we'll get to hear some specific things that we can do when we're in those moments. So I really hope you'll come back for that. So thanks for being here today. Would you mind just thanking our team uh, for being up here today and answering these questions?
So, Rich, would you close us out in prayer for today? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this time together and uh, with the church party, and we've talked about some uh, kind of touchy issues sometimes. Sometimes we don't really know how to handle them. Uh, we bring our little kids home from the hospital, and we're supposed to start raising them, and there's no manual, there's no nothing. And we're supposed to take that little bundle of joy and make a person out of him. So, Father, we need help. And uh, the, the, Nancy and I have found that your word, um, there's a lot in your word on how to raise kids. And... Uh, but we got to be in. We got to be reading. We got to be studying it. And uh, Satan just seems to make that such a hard deal. He just won't let us spend fifteen minutes in God's Word on a whole day. So, Lord, we need some help. Let us be determined that if we got teenagers right now, we're going to love them into heaven. Um, I know there's some people going through some struggles and they need help so Father um, I pray that you would help them to be serious about looking for help and they, as they study your word that you would reveal yourself to them and how how to help their teenagers. There's some people here that have new babies and new things come up every day of how they're supposed to handle these babies. And Father, there's some people here that's got some old mom and dads that they really, really haven't been around much. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, Fill us with your spirit that we might uh, take care of our older, our older folks, Lord, that people would, so that church at Epic, they, they just take care of people. They love people. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to be honoring to you in all that we do and do. Lord, we thank you now and we pray that you would bless our time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have any follow-up questions for any of our parents that are up here uh, this morning, feel free to come on up. They're gonna, most of them are going to stay up here, so feel free to come up and ask any follow-up questions that you might have. Thank you for being here today, everybody, and we look forward to seeing you next week.